0: welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey.
1: So, we've got a big announcement for you, listeners. Yes, we are excited to tell you all that T and Strumpets is now part of the brand new Frolic Podcast Network. And if you're not familiar with Frolic already, Frolic
0: is a website and a brand that brings together a community of diverse voices that include authors, fans, bookstagrammers, and storytellers to deliver feel good content and commerce
1: to the voracious consumer who enjoys escaping into a great love story. In other words, People like us. So the Frolic Podcast Network has launched with 13 romance-centric podcasts covering the range of topics and genres for romance fans and everyone who loves A Happily Ever After. Podcasts like Smart Podcasts, Trashy Books, Big Gay Fiction Podcasts, Learning the Tropes, Us, and many more.
0: (laughs) So what does that mean for you, our listeners? Logistically, nothing. You can still get our podcast wherever you get it today, and it will still be produced exactly as you know and have come to love. But it does mean more shows for you to enjoy and more opportunities for
1: us to introduce
0: you to awesome new podcasts you'll love.
1: And for us, being in the network enables us to do what we do and do it better. So huzzah! You can learn more and see all the great shows at frolic.media slash podcasts.
0: You'll be hearing more from us about the network and the other shows in the future. But for now, we have another special treat for
1: you today. It's our first interview. We had such a fantastic conversation. We hope you all love it as much as we did. So as there's a lot in there, we're going to get right into it. And we'll see you all in the parlor afterwards for a bit of a wrap up. All right, let's get into our interview with bestselling author Maya Rodale. Today, we're joined by best-selling author of more than a dozen books that include nonfiction, contemporary, and historical romance, Maya Rodale. Yay! Hi. Hi, Maya. Thank you for joining us today, Maya. Thank, Thank you for having me. me. Yeah, and Maya, you do a lot
0: of other things, too, I have found out. You teach writing workshops, you're a speaker, you write for NPR Books, and uh, you guest on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I keep busy.
2: Uh, To me, I love writing the books, but, you know, the story of romance, I think, goes beyond the book.
0: I completely agree as uh, someone who is doing a romance podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But before we get like further into what we're talking about today, I have like our first really tough question for you, which is what is your favorite romance novel? Oh, my God. (laughs) We like to start
1: off with a bang here.
0: That's impossible.
1: Oh, good. I'm not the only one. I say a true mark mark of a book lover is someone who literally couldn't tell you what their favorite book is because there's so many wonderful books out there.
0: Yeah, um, there's
2: so many wonderful ones out there. I've read so many.
0: If you had to take one to a desert island, what would that book be? Oh, my God. (laughs) Let me
2: put it this way. Let me answer your question this way. One of the things I love about romance is that there's something for every mood you find yourself in.
1: Absolutely.
2: And so, you know, I don't know what the book is from Stranded on a Desert Island. Um, I can't think of it right now, but I can tell you I've been in a mood a period of my life recently where I'm like, I need a Tessa Dare novel. Yeah. (laughs) Only a Tessa Dare novel will do. Mm -hmm. I need something light and funny and sweet, and
0: that's all I can handle. That is right where I'm at right now. The last book that I just read for fun was a Tessa Dare novel. In fact, the last two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. So everyone that's listening might know you from the things that we just discussed but today we're talking about something a little bit different from that we're talking about your book dangerous books for girls the bad reputation of romance novels explained yes so we have a lot to talk about with this book (laughs) um but i thought it might be nice to give you maya a little backstory about how i stumbled upon it so I actually wanted to create a deck for our podcast to like send out to networks and advertisers To like form some partnerships or try some things because like we're a new endeavor and we don't have like the the gazillions of numbers yet because we're just starting out to entice them that way. So I like I wanted to find stats about romance novels and the romance industry, and my mission was just completely abandoned because I found your infographics and your statistics, (laughs) and I just like immediately was like move over deck this isn't important i want to learn more about this whole thing because as i started reading you know the website about dangerous book for girls books for girls and all of the stuff that you had on there i was just like yes yes like this is everything that i've been thinking but having a hard time putting into words
1: (laughs) yes and then she sent me a text message and she's like kelsey look at this. And I was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) I'm
0: here. (laughs) And like, so a podcast is like a very public forum, right? Like you're putting yourself completely out there and you're saying, these are my views and this is what I'm saying. And what comes out of your mouth that day, you know, maybe isn't the best thing. Thank goodness for editing. (laughs) Um, but, um, like I actually really like I was really excited about the idea that I had with this podcast, but I kind of struggled for a while to like actually go through with it and bring the idea up to Kelsey because I was actually contemplating like a career move into politics. And I thought, you know, do I wanna be saying all these things about romance novels and then be in politics? And then I found out that Stacey Abrams is <laughs> published romance novels. <laughs> and I was like, screw this, I'm going for it, you know? Great. Yeah, so I just feel like Kelsey and I are both still in the beginning of like our journey kind of with talking about romance novels eloquently. And this book is like such a great resource for people like us who are learning and agreeing with everything in it, but like learning how to have these public conversations.
2: Thank you. Yes. When do I vote for you? Where do I vote for you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We need more romance people in politics, and thank you. You've really gotten to the heart of why I wrote this book, and in a sense, it started as an angry blog comment, because there was a time when you would see all these snarky blogs about romance, and we would all get on there and be like, no, you're wrong, blah, 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 blah. I'm tired of typing this out and losing a day. I'm just gonna write the damn book that sums up why this is a wonderful, powerful genre and space for women and people who identify as women and who are aligned with women. There's a lot happening in romance. It's not just a fluffy paperback novel. And so with Dangerous Books for Girls, I wanted to talk about what was happening and why we always have all these feelings And why we should feel really damn good about this genre in this space.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, as Zoe said, we're still learning to really push ourselves and be out there with like our love of romance. And I've never I've never hidden from it, you know, when they're like, oh, what type of books do you read? It's like, I love romance novels. But I feel like every time I said that, it was like I was geared towards a fight. Like I was geared right. towards the defensive. Like I'm gonna tell you I like romance and then I'm just gonna immediately say why it's a good genre and why you shouldn't naysay it, even before they have naysayed it, because that was kind of just the reaction and the perception versus I know doing this podcast, I've kind of just like thrown it off and I'm just like listen to my podcast it's about romance novels (laughs) I don't care what you think about it listen to it
2: (laughs) but that's a progression I think a lot of us go through in romance is I mean for me like I resisted reading them in the first place because I thought I was better than that Mm -hmm. look at me now um, (laughs) then I got into it and then it was like you you are always prepared to justify it which is absurd because no one expects that of mystery
0: yeah it's it's such a loaded thing and you say that later on in the book there's a section about how like you know if we spend the first quarter of everything justifying like where does that leave us if we if we didn't do that and we had 100 percent of the talk on all of the good things how much further would we get and i thought that that was like, thank you. Mind blowing. I, 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 don't know if practically in every conversation I can always do that. Just because sometimes, you know, depending on where the person is that you're talking to. But I'm definitely striving towards that. But I'm totally <laughs> jumping ahead
2: here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to add to that though. Like, I think, I think romance landia as a whole is getting there where we don't start at every blog like justifying our existence and little by little that will like just seep out and seep down and work for all of us that we can just start talking about I love these books here's why and no no excuses necessary
1: yes yeah. <laughs> absolutely but you know in talking about the book like can you outline for our listeners who maybe haven't read the book um you talk about why romance novels are dangerous so um, I call it the book Dangerous Books
2: for Girls because I think romance as a genre is dangerous in that it is tremendously empowering to women because it gives us a vision of how we want our lives to be. It gives us experience being agents of change and authors of our own destiny. It brings us into the marketplace in like, real ways as you know creators of something buyers sellers and it's a space where women can talk amongst themselves kind of unmediated by any men or status quo or like whatever mainstream media for lack of a better term so it's a space where like women can come together and talk about their hopes and dreams and get experience changing things on the page and i think that translates to women
0: changing how they think about themselves or how they live
2: their lives in real life.
0: I can attest to that. I came to romance novels pretty late in my life and, um, you're welcome. (laughs) 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 And all of a sudden I really was just like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, this doesn't have to be this way, or I don't have to think about this way. And I've always been a happily ever after fairy tale sort of girl, but romance novels were such a more relatable thing for as an adult, you know, mm-hmm. seeing other adult women have, you know, successful and happy and rewarding adult relationships. Um, it
1: just, it was definitely eye opening and, and wonderful. And that for me is, I think, really what, I was explaining, like when Zoe, I was introducing her to them. I was like, you need to read the ones with like the strong female characters. Cause that for me, I've always loved, like, I love strong heroines, you know, that match the Mm -hmm. heroes, you know, that's what I love about them. I want a sassy girl who doesn't care, you know, who just sets off to live her life. Like, I love that. And those are my favorite books for sure. Right.
2: Right. I love those as well. Um, my favorite thing is the banter between the two people who want oh, to with each other. Like then it gets really fun and engaging. And before you know it, you're sucked into the story and living along with them.
0: So there were a few facts in your book that mm-hmm. I'd love to highlight because I couldn't get past this um, the first okay. um, was the taxes on knowledge I think I've read that mm-hmm. you know in history or whatever but like the the window
1: tax the fact that you know I did know that one for some weird reason I did know about the window tax I don't know why but I did. <laughs> so windows were
0: taxed so people had less windows so the you know the less fortunate couldn't afford windows so they couldn't read as much because there wasn't enough natural light and that just like and that wasn't repealed till i think 100 years after it was put into effect and i was just like okay what is going on with the world (laughs) we have been terrible since the beginning Uh, yeah that's one thing you learn as a historian is
2: like everything's bad all the time um (laughs) this is we have everything happening now has already happened yeah so i read this article on the new york times recently on like print books making a comeback in that especially in all these authoritarian regimes taking over the world because you can't track them the way you can a Google search. You can't leave this trail of who's been reading what revolutionary text. You you can just smuggle them. You can't. They're harder to censor. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: And you can you know read it by candlelight. You can read it outside. You can um, just slip it to your friend and neighbor with the groceries. Like the novel, the print novel is like actually coming back as a really subversive way to carry ideas through authoritarian regimes. And so you see, it's kind of the same thing as with these taxes on knowledge, because what is the novel? It is a vision of the world changing.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And if you're in power, you don't want people to see that vision. And you especially don't want like women or poor people, or I would include now people of color getting to say what the world should look like. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you were going to do we were going to try to stop that. And I do want to take a moment, but I wrote Dangerous Books for Girls, I think in 2015. So it was pre-Me Too and like right on the cusp of all these conversations about inclusivity and diversity in romance media. Mm-hmm. And so I don't touch on those subjects because I wasn't aware of them. They just weren't up in the space that I was existing in yet. So if I were to rewrite the book today, I would be much more inclusive and factor that in. But I think it all tells the same story that Dangerous Books for Girls does tell.
0: I completely agree. And I, cause I was thinking of that and we had that kind of as As a question we definitely wanted to bring up which is that it's been four years which isn't a
1: long time but also the last four years have been so much has happened it's insane (laughs) the collective world consciousness has really changed its view and perception and there is a lot of you know radical social change you know to put it that way Mm -hmm. so They say, so I'm
0: uh, brainwashed a little by the CEO of the company I'm in, but we're in the fourth industrial revolution, which is the digital (laughs) revolution. But what we're going to do in the next like 50 years is the advancement is like way more advancement than what we've done in the last 300 years. And even if maybe that's referring to technology, it's still like extremely relevant in this context too, in just the social kind of change that we're going to see in response to that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very different out there right now than it was even four years ago. And so do you feel like anything's improved for the romance novel since then? Do you think that we're still talking about it the same way? What what do you think is the difference?
2: I think, a lot has changed in romance landia since Dangerous Books for Girls came out. Either um, I'm not gonna say because of it, but it was part of a trend happening. So, talking about romance as a feminist space, like I think that's pretty accepted. We've made that argument. We're like, yes, moving on. We're not justifying it anymore on, on those terms. We're not having that conversation anymore. And I was speaking with one of my uh, romance friends, and she's like, now it's about intersectionality. And how does that show up in romance, in both the books, in publishing, in the marketplace around romance? And I think that's our next big conversation that romance ideas should be having. And I think we are having it. But I think that's the next iteration.
0: And one of the things that you talk about in the, in the book is kind of the evolution of romance novels too. How we kind of, you know, started in the '70s with you know a lot of the kind of more forceful. The flame the flower. Yeah. yeah, we actually had a listener who recommended. She's like, I'd really love for you guys to read that one. So maybe we will one day. But um, we've both never read it. It's really
2: worth reading, um, I think. It's hard. (laughs) I've gone back and reread it. It's hard, but like, it also got me in the genre because I was like, how are these people going to end up happy together? And I don't think it brings true in the same way it might have done, but it's very interesting to see where we've come from.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's really like the way that you describe that though, is that, you know, it's kind of a little bit with, if I can say, like with respect mm-hmm. to where we've come from, right, which is that we don't have to necessarily hate the things that were in the 70s because those were stepping stones to like where we are now and how kind of I don't know if you can speak a little bit about how the romance novels and the rape culture of the 70s, not culture, but the, the rape that was kind of seen in the 70s was more of a, a way for a woman to explore her sexuality in, in a different kind of space
2: yeah so speaking for, I mean I wasn't born yet <laughs> <I> wasn't <there. laughs> but um, from everything I've read and people I've talked to is that the Bodice Ripper was the way we started having this conversation about women's sexuality and that a woman wasn't allowed to own her own desires or have sex out of choice or proactively and so this was the way they got sex on the page and got it it was part of the story part of a woman's um, transformation as a character part of her emotional journey and is it problematic today absolutely should we still look at it and discuss it like yeah maybe so i think i think it's interesting to consider in light of the culture it was written in and the time and what it did in order to invent the genre and move it forward. But I'm glad we've moved on and moved past it. And I think one of the powers of romance is that it, because we write it so quickly, relatively to a literary fiction work, for example, mm-hmm. uh, because it is so quick, it is so in conversation with the culture. And so anytime you look at a romance novel, you can see what was kind of happening in the world at the time, and how we viewed women, how we viewed men, how we viewed simple interactions between them. And it's a snapshot of the time. And I think it's worth looking at and seeing and understanding and appreciating, but then knowing you have the freedom to not replicate that. For example, I'm reading a Tessa Dare novel. Um, mm-hmm. It's a duke and a governess.
0: Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like, I'm like, Oh Tessa, are we really doing this? Like in this day and age, and it's like, how how do you take those power dynamics and make it okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Tessa Dare's very recently written duke and governess novel is not the duke and governess novel I started reading in romance fifteen years ago. Um, mm-hmm. It's much more aware of power dynamics. It puts much more agency on the woman to drive the relationship forward. And so this is what I mean by it's interesting to see how we think about ourselves has changed by looking at the romances we've written and loved.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And having read some older novels, like, I've read a nice 70s, 80s bodice ripper and Mm -hmm. was like, Oh, what am I reading right now? (laughs) And then, (laughs) but then like you said, you know, even just like you can see the progression, having been reading them now for about 10 years, like I can see the progression. As you say, the power dynamics. Now it's very much focused on the females driving the relationship. And like they also really highlight the inequalities women faced a hundred years ago, 150 years ago that we're still really working towards today. I know that, you know, my grandmother was it my great grandmother, one of them, but they had to leave their job because they got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And like that was in the 20th century. And so it's just very interesting. was my mother, Elizabeth Warren. Warren. <laughs> uh, no, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: I wish. <laughs> no. But it's just very interesting to talk about that. And I will say that for me, reading romance novels actually does highlight the inequalities between the genders and how they've really been prevalent. So for you as an author, You want to be historical, but still keep it modern and up-to-date. So what are those challenges for you? And how do you think the genre is really working towards all that and making it modern while still keeping those historical aspects true to form? Right. So,
2: so yeah, so speaking specifically about historical romance. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I have so much to say on this. I don't even know (laughs) 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 where to begin. um, I think for... A long time in Romance Landia, historical romance functioned as a way for us to negotiate these very patriarchal power structures in a escapist fantasy kind of way. And I think we're like really starting to look at like what is happening in a historical romance and starting to look harder at what we're romanticizing and how we romanticize it. And so I want to take a minute to clarify: there's actually historical accurate. And then there's the idea of historical accuracy in romance. Yeah. So these two are not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. <laughs> and so, you know, I once said, like, oh, well, if you want to write historical romance, you don't really need to do a lot of historical research. Just read more historical romance. And I'm sorry. And to my everlasting shame, I have said that. but what I was getting at is that the historical romance readers seem to want is this fluffy Regency where we don't talk about where the Duke's money came from. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the fact that he could rape her and she had no recourse. Um, He could take her children. And what was she going to do? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're very whitewashed and they're very heteronormative. Like, but i think what's happening in romance now is that we're saying like wait a minute this was not actually historically accurate we're looking at the real history with um, a broader perspective and now how can we start to include that and so you know you see more gay love stories you see more people of color in historical romance and you see a widening lens of how we look at all of these things and reckon with them and i think that's wonderful and that's including that point of view and like allowing the contemporary gaze to look at the history is why historical romance is always fresh and interesting it also gets dated but like that's how we keep reinventing the genre is by including more modern perspectives I, that's a topic where like i want to write a whole chapter and a whole new version of dangerous books for girls on like what's happening with um historical accuracy and even white supremacy and historical romance Mm -hmm. if that was not write your addendum just stick it on
3: the internet
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what i wanted to talk about next was kind of the history of the romance novel and how it got its cheap reputation and one thing that i thought was unbelievably fascinating Mm -hmm. now this is you you start talking about the romance novel from the beginning like from from uh, you know hundreds of years ago but where i thought it was like totally fascinating i mean i thought most of it was but was how you wrote about in the 70s harlequin built their business and readership Mm -hmm. by giving free romance novels in kotex boxes ajax cleanser laundry detergent and cosmetics and at mcdonald's one mother's day and then you write with these tactics they built their brand and also a seated romance with things that are shameful dirty (laughs) need to be covered up or cheap or unhealthy junk food oh my gosh like what (laughs) yeah so
2: i forget what the book is called that um i learned that in it's in the footnotes for dangerous books for girls but yeah the history of harlequin is fascinating and they really exploded romance they did so much to explode romance but their the way they did it also like brought these negative connotations alongside with it and to be fair you know women's fiction was never considered respectable or serious it was never taken seriously and i think Mm -hmm so that's not harlequin's fault but i think because it was never taken seriously you could be like hey let's sell it with mcdonald's and tampons like (laughs) um you would never do that to a like jonathan
3: franzen novel
2: but maybe you should um (laughs) so it's it's interesting the associations that were built in to romance um similarly you know it's sold in grocery stores so um women could slip it in with a grocery budget. It's sold at drugstores and airports, just on the go impulse purchases where it's you know, it doesn't require a lot of thought. We're not laboring over this decision. And because of we're not laboring over it, it's like, oh, it's just an easy throwaway matter. Nothing right. consequential here. So all these things are um implied in how these books were marketed and where they were sold and how they were purchased, but you know Talking to you guys, talking to any reader, these books aren't devalued to us at all.
0: Yeah, to the romance community, we we don't feel that way at all. <laughs> I actually just feel like I'm getting a good deal when I can get a book for t- you know for a, a low price or whatever. And right. now I run to the, you know, the kiosks in airports just to see if right. they have a historical romance because I want to like take a picture of it and be like, yeah, you know. <laughs> but you know, you you just mentioned the word impulse purchases, and you you kind of also write how that is is another way to maybe cheapen the idea of romance, right? <laughs> and I, as a reader, at the end, and and if this question has to be taken out. <laughs> There can't be answered let me know um, but but at the end of every Avon romance mm-hmm. they say give in to your impulses and I don't know when I see that and even before I read your book when I see that I kind of go like that's like that's not how I feel about this so right. I feel a little weird that they're they're bringing up that slogan I mean do you have any thoughts on on that um that's really interesting and you do not have to cut
2: this question um
0: <laughs> I'm sure it was
2: based on a ton of market research, but I also hear what you're saying. And it's like, you know, we may make that decision quickly, but it's also, I think the decision we made, you and I, is like, we love romance. We love these books. I don't have to decide I love romance and love these books every time I'm going to get one. Like... I know this is for me. I know I'm probably going to like it. So and I don't think it's tremendously impulsive because we know we need a lot of them. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think the term impulse is, I think it can be a tricky one for sure. And I don't know that that's entirely how we're all finding them. But yeah, <laughs> of that's really interesting. I'm going to think on this more.
0: Yeah, it's just something that actually like that kind of came to me as I was reading your book, because I've always seen that and I've always thought of that. And I and I don't know, for me, it's like, oh of course, I have an impulsive like buy now finger right. on my e-reader, like absolutely. Right. But it's impulsive. Based on you know research of my own, because I have researched and read many of these books, or I've read many of these books, which I consider to be research, and so I know that it's going to be something that I enjoy. So exactly, it looks
2: and sounds and feels like an impulse, but it's actually like you're bringing a lot of experience and prior knowledge to making this purchase decision. Like yeah, oh yeah, for sure. If the new um, Tessa Dare pops up, like I'm just going to buy it, right? And it looks impulsive, but I've also spent like. hours (laughs) researching whether i like her books or not you know so okay that's another blog topic thank you
1: My, my only, my impulse is like, I look online and I see like multiple authors have produced new books (laughs) in the last two months. And I'm like, how have I not known this? Let's buy this one and this one and this one. Yay!
0: (laughs) I love though, how the romance community really is so inclusive in... As a community, I, I'm not speaking of like, you know, um representation mm-hmm. here in this in this sense. Um I, I we've already said there's there's some steps to to go in that, but the community is actually seems to be pretty um To be pretty helpful to each other and want to build each other up. It feels like a fairly feminist space, Mm -hmm. you know, women helping women. And I, um, I see that with authors, you know, they, they promote each other's books. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I
2: think one of the things that makes romance so powerful is that there is a culture and community of helping (laughs) in romance. (laughs) I remember when I first got my book deal, um, my very first book deal a thousand million years ago. um, A big author who I knew from, it was Eloisa James. I knew her from other spaces. And she said, go join your local Romancers of America chapter. And I did. And I joined the national organization. And I wouldn't be where I am if it hadn't been for that. Because not only are people, you find people who share your love of romance, where you don't have to justify it. You can just talk about it from a position of, love and joy and intelligence, you don't have to explain it to someone. So that's an amazing space that Landia has created or Romance Writers of America. And then the way they help take a reader and make her into an author and make her into a successful author is astounding. And I don't see that in other, any other space. Um, I don't think they do that in TV. I don't think they do it in like literary fiction. I don't think they do it even in other genre fictions as much as we do. Um, I had a friend go to the Nink novelist Inc. conference once and they were like, um, the people in romance like really have their shit together when it comes to talking amongst themselves, not just about a love story, but like when you're signing your contract, what should you watch out for? And what are the best marketing tips and tricks that are working right now? And like Here's what I did to game the Amazon algorithm. Here's how you can do it too. We are constantly sharing amongst ourselves and recommending each other's books, promoting the whole genre as well as ourselves. And I think it's a rising tide that lifts all boats.
0: And I think that it just it it harkens back to your reasons why romance books are dangerous for girls, right? Which is that because of women, mm-hmm. you know empowering women getting together and because women become (laughs) authory and you know, uh, and I just think that's, uh, it's, it's lovely to see, you know, people building each other up. And I actually went to a panel um, moderated by Tessa Dare a couple of weeks ago at a local bookstore. And the story that you said about, you know, Aloisa James telling you to go to RWA, that exact same story was echoed by an author named Kristen Rockaway, I believe, that was on the panel I mean- who said that Tessa Dare had done that for <laughs> her. So uh, what, a, what a cool community. It's a wonderful place. Have you guys gone to the
1: conference? or your local chapter yet? Uh, No, not yet. Uh, We are planning to go to like the big conference next year for sure. Yeah. And then I know my friend was in New York this year for the RWA conference and she was just had a blast like she just went as a spectator because she's just also a fellow romance novel enthusiast and a friend of hers um does some reviewing stuff but she was just like oh my gosh i met so-and-so she's so nice (laughs) you know
2: it's so cool you can see your like biggest favorite authors and then approach them and we're all um we're all in the same space i mean It's really, really cool. I go almost every year and I had a habit where like at least once a conference, I would like find myself in a small enclosed space alone with Nora Roberts, like in an elevator in the ladies
0: room. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs)
2: That's so cool that you can have that access from reader to author and vice versa. Like I'm never going to be alone in an elevator with like... I don't know, Shonda Rhymes or
0: something. something. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you never know. Hey, it's starting to happen.
1: <laughs> okay, <great>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So in our podcast, we have a feminist scale, like how feminist it is. It. We always try to relate it to feminism and just talking about with Landia and how, you know, the authors really build each other up and they help each other out within the novels as well as in real life, like how, how do you feel romance rates on a feminist scale? Because I think that some women have problems with romance because it's not portrayed as a feminist organization, but look at all these women building each other up and building strong female characters. So for you, what's your feminist gauge on the whole thing?
2: Um, I think we're, very, we're on our way to 10,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: From one to 10. It's little things in a book of like, okay, authors, don't rely on the crazy ex girlfriend trope. Like, don't rely on the mean girl. Like, give a little more nuance. Don't just immediately throw your sisterhood under the bus, <laughs> and um, you know, pay more attention to how you portray every female character in the story, not just your heroine. So, mm-hmm. on, on a textual level, we see that happening. But I think what's happening right now is like, okay, we're a feminist genre we're cool with that. We're doing something that no other media or entertainment space is doing, but like, can we be more intersectional in our Mm -hmm. feminism? And that is the conversation that's happening now. And that's the next frontier for feminism and romance. And I mean, feminism in the world at large too. And so I think until we reckon more with that and we can't say we're a completely feminist genre just yet.
1: Fair, absolutely fair.
0: Yeah, and in our last book that we discussed, I think so we we usually say is it a supporter, is it neutral or is it an offender rather than for for our mm-hmm. for our rating cuz there's so much nuance, right? <laughs> but, um yeah. but last book I did say, you know, I didn't feel like there was something particularly overtly that someone on the outside would look at and say that's such a feminist supporter you know it's not like the heroine is going around and campaigning for votes for women or something to that kind of effect but it was just that there were such great strong relationships between all the female characters in the book she and her stepmother had a great relationship you know she and her sister who was a lot more beautiful than her they had such a tight relationship and they were you know super bonded and the stepmother and the the dead mother like had this wonderful like passionate kind of I'm taking care of your daughter thing. And so to me, that was like, yes, we're portraying really good female relationships in, in texts. And that is just as important as, you know, votes for women in today's day and age. So.
2: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And when we talk about like strong female characters, like I think what we really mean is not like a physical strength, but a nuanced portrayal a depth to the portrayal and then you know you're getting that when you see these rich nuanced relationships and so much you know in the world we want to talk about like mean girls and women are competitive with each other and i think it's so revolutionary to show strong relationships supportive relationships between women and i think that counts
1: for a lot a lot I 100% agree I don't get
2: that anywhere else I mean when only like what like 20 to 30% of speaking roles in TV and film are women like how are they talking to each other <laughs> so women talking to women on the page is really powerful
3: mm-hmm.
2: and having those great relationships it's you know it's again it's another thing to model like to see that that's
0: how we can be with each other rather than um, seeing each other as the enemy. Yeah. And it is, every time I do see it, it's really good because like, I I mean, honestly, I'm a very competitive person. I always have been. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, and I think like as I've kind of, gotten older and feminism's become more important to me, you know, like I want to build up other women and I wrestle with that internally with just like wanting to win all the time and like be the best, (laughs) but also be like, but let's bring up everybody around me. And so like the more that we portray that and make that normal, we kind of, can shed, I think, that expectation of ourselves a little bit of the, like, I have Mm -hmm. to be at the top or, you know, when there's only one woman in the room and you're competing for that spot, like, I feel like we have to say, no, there should be 10 women in this room and I'm going to bring three with me every time I go.
2: (laughs) Exactly. 100% that. And also we need to redefine what winning is. Mm -hmm. Like okay, you're the one woman in the room. Are you really winning? Like, is that the prize you want? Like, isn't it better if it's 50-50?
0: Let me tell Mm -hmm. you, I'm, I, at work, I am almost always the one woman in the room and it is not winning. (laughs) I I really would like a, a whole constituency in there. Like, we need, we need more, but anyhow, we've, we've, we've digressed a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: I don't think we have though, because right when Dangerous Books for Girls came out, I was invited to give a talk at General Electric, did a women in leadership summit. And so I was speaking about Dangerous Books for Girls to like 250 top level executive women. And they were all like, oh my God, we've never been in a room with this many women before. And I was like, Oh, I well, come to my local chapter. What <laughs> is every romance conference? So it's very interesting, and when I realize how special that is in romance, that um, it is women working with women, still competing with each other for you know a slot on a publisher's list or a spot in a reader's TBR pile, but we're so friendly about it, and it's we're still competing, but it's we're not harming each other in the process i
1: think you're competing but you're not overall yeah you're not dragging someone down for your success right right right. there's space there's space i want to
2: say like i'm aware this is not everyone's experience in romance landia or at romance writers of america so i want to like just shout out that that's not always the experience but i think a lot of people enough people have had this experience that we should keep Working to make sure everyone gets it because it's so powerful and interesting. And once you're like, No, I've been in a room with three hundred power player women, like I'm not going back to being mm-hmm. the one Lone Voice represent.
1: Like Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. No, for sure. So Yeah. And then <laughs> segueing back to books. Yeah, I know, right? But we want to talk about people think that romance is unrealistic, but science fiction is not. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, they all wrote about how like throughout the years, people have always been worried that women are going to read romance and they're going to feel, they're going to have these unrealistic expectations (laughs) of, of what their lives are going to be. But at the same time, people don't look at like science fiction or fantasy genre in the same way. And so like, what's up with that?
2: (laughs) Um, So saying it's saying a romance is unrealistic is a way to manage a reader's expectations. And it's basically saying, don't even, don't even girl, like (laughs) this is not going to happen for you. This is not real or true. And I was astounded in my grad school studies coming across people saying this about women's fiction in like the 1700s and early 1800s it goes so far back and like when you look at the novels at the time like what was unrealistic about it then they were just marrying for love they were just you know being the subject of a story like having interior thoughts of their own um saying words on the page what craziness it's a craziness i know thinking (laughs) i know it has nothing to do with what's actually possible it's what they don't want to happen Mm -hmm. is i think where the the realism an unrealistic claim comes in
0: you had a reference in the book too that i just loved you talk about the uncanny valley and how like that's i'll try to do my best of of summing up uncanny valley for anybody that doesn't know but that's like mm-hmm. when a robot is like just a little too human and people are you know kind of weirded out by it and like so you wrote but a romance novel which acrobatically walks a fine line between fantasy and absolutely plausible realistic but idealized is like the robot that is too human mm-hmm. and i thought that was just like yes like that was a way to explain it to people like <laughs> Just because it's like, you think that it can't happen. I don't know. I I just thought it was so cool. Such a cool reference.
2: So it's like part of what's happening in a romance, right? Is we have these like larger than life characters and they have these like, these absurd physical descriptions, you know, like her eyes are violet. He's always huge and like really built and whatever. they are these idealized like specimens, but then what happens is the emotions are so real. The emotional and interior journey these characters go on is so real and then the actions might be completely unrealistic ridiculous probably never happened like would never happen and it's that juxtaposition and I'm thinking you know all the dukes all the highway robberies where they get out just fine like (laughs) all the Earl who was actually a pirate who came home and like one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) All these funny, like larger than life, like silly even or just overly dramatic and like wonderfully so. You have that juxtaposed with like really genuine and authentic and real emotional journeys and interior thoughts. And I think that's where some of the disconnect happens. Um for people because they see the actions and the outer representation they don't they're not undergoing that journey with the characters like a reader is so that's why it feels real to us like of course she did that because of what we just went through on the last 15 (laughs) so it's an interesting question of how it all works together the fantasy and the realism of it in a novel Mm -hmm. And can it work in another medium? I don't know.
0: Well, yeah, well, (laughs) maybe the next four years, we'll we'll get to see a little bit more of that. Right, right.
2: Also, these things become realistic is the other thing. We're like writing an image of the world. We're writing a vision of the world that we want to see. And once we can all see that on the page and feel what it feels like to be there and to see what we have to go through to get there, you're like maybe we can do that. Maybe we can make that real. And that's what makes
0: romance dangerous or powerful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, world. We want to change you. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but you like it. Trust us. So then what do you think, like, you spend a lot of the the first part of the book talking about what the history of romance novels and what made them dangerous and how they got their reputation. But like, what do you actually think that romance novels do for their readers? What's the actual effect that romance novels have?
2: There's so many ways to, there's so many ways to answer this. Um, I had a really hard week this week and- at the end of a few really hard days I was like you know what I need to read a romance novel and don't get me wrong I review romance novels for NPR I write romance novels I'm reading them like I am constantly reading a romance novel but the need was overwhelming and what that overwhelming need was was for comfort for kindness for not avoiding the hard stuff, but like seeing someone who is similar-ish, like go through that with grace and joy and find the happy on the other side. And Mm -hmm. I needed a book that was like written in a way that was gonna like take me out of my own self and put me into this other place. And then you come out of it and you're like, I feel better. You know, I think we turned to drinking, right? Sometimes for that feeling, but you just wake up feeling hungover and worse. Whereas the romance is like, I'm going to do that for you and you're going to feel better. Unless you stayed up way too late reading it. (laughs) (laughs) Which
1: I have done on so many occasions.
2: (laughs) But I think in a world where they don't want women to get together and talk amongst themselves. They don't want women to talk. They don't want women to think. We don't want to hear what we have to say. We don't want them to put themselves out there and we make it hard to be a woman to have this space where you can go where it's okay to be a woman and it's safe and good and you can become recharged it's tremendously powerful and just nice <laughs> nice is underrated i think so yeah i i appreciate romance on a lot of different levels in terms of how it can give this vision of the status quo changing how it can give women a livelihood how it can change how we talk about real issues, how it gives us a way to work through really real crap. But at the end of the day, sometimes you're like, it's also just so reliably comforting. And that's
0: so powerful. I can't agree more. (laughs) My week is a lot better talking to you too now.
2: (laughs)
1: Oh, well, glad we can lift you up a bit. Thank you. We love uh,
0: talking about romance novels. That's why we do it. Uh, and recorded.
2: (laughs) And that's why so many people are going to listen and have the conversation themselves.
0: I met my first male romance reader, male straight romance reader (laughs) uh, at the historical romance retreat. I went to their book fair and he and his girlfriend were behind me. And I almost did the stereotype of like, ask her. And then I said, do you both read? And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, thank God. I I didn't, I didn't fall into that trap because he was the one who got her into it. And I was just like, oh my God, hold on to him. Keep him forever. Don't let him go. (laughs) Like, ah, this is amazing. My
1: Uh, husband doesn't even read books. (laughs) He buys them. He buys them. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And then he just, Doesn't get around to that. And that's
0: okay. I saw on your website, Maya, you have a quote section. And I think that from your your husband, he said, her books are the only romance books I'll read. (laughs) That was a pretty great quote.
2: He's my um, first reader for all of my books. Oh, wow. And he's really great at it. And he loves talking through them. But I can't get him to read beyond mine. But, you know, one day, one day. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, yeah. At least read Pride. At least watch the movie of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just read um, the Romance Book Club. I forget who it's by, but it's about a hero and a group of friends, male friends, who read romance novels. Oh, that and sounds they, fun! He uses it to save his marriage, and it's really interesting
0: um, how she does it. Cool. Gonna have to put that one on the pile. (laughs) Very interesting.
2: I think you guys will have a lot to think about and talk about.
0: Very cool. So yeah. So, what about the idea that romance is porn for women? Mm -hmm. How do Mm -hmm. you? What do you? What are your thoughts around that? Um, I don't know how to define
2: porn or not porn, but I'm gonna say, who cares if it is is porn? Like um humans are interested in sex. Let's look at sex. Let's read about it, look at it, have it, talk about it. I think we go to it in romance because this is one of the only places where you know you can get a sex education. You can see sex, the mechanics of sex and the emotions of sex combined. I think you can see from a romance novel how sex is part of a relationship and a character's like development and so it it takes this thing we're all super interested in and like giggly about but it's like no let's put it in context and i i don't know where what else provides sex in that context besides actually your own relationship um, which if that's what you want i hope you
3: have (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, You know, uh, education is important and it's always good to learn more, right? We're always on a quest.
2: (laughs) Well, one of the things I learned in my research and it comes up again and again is that most people discover romance novels when they're like 12, 13. And I think it is a lot of people's first introduction to how sex works
0: i read that in your book and i i think i said earlier like i'm a fairly new romance reader so kelsey introduced me to romance books six years ago maybe um i'm almost 32 so mid-20s right Mm -hmm. and reading this and kelsey doesn't i haven't said this to kelsey i don't think ever (laughs) um but reading this made me realize that actually i did sort of read romance before and i did find it when i was 12 or 13 Mm -hmm. and i sure do wish that i had found romance novels instead (laughs) but what i did find was very very uh smutty harry potter fan fiction (laughs) (laughs) Yep. so and i was funny because i completely had kind of forgotten about it or, you know, put right. that in a different storage place in my brain. <laughs> um, and not that I, I mean, some of it I remember thinking was just brilliant literature. Right. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it very well could have been. I mean, I read some that were like 600 pages. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> I
2: would have that free time. Oh. Uh, I
0: I would stay up late in my room you know reading stuff like that but but I think romance novels like thinking about it now like if I have kids one day like heck yeah I would hand them a romance novel and I would say like let's discuss you know because I think it's it is painting such a a more complete and um kind of a better picture than a lot of other things out there
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, though, because there's plenty of just regular fiction novels that, you know, they they have sex scenes in that, but it's to further the relationship, but then to dedicate your book to the relationship, where sex is obviously part of the relationship, it's like, oh, that's a different, let's put that in a different box. Versus I remember my first novels, you know, first fantasy novels, maybe not as detailed, but like they talk about that part of the relationship. They talk about the sex, you know, it goes into that because that's just how relationships evolve. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest intimacy you can have right. with another person. And so it's interesting because even before I read romance novels, I was drawn to books that had a story of two people people, whoever those people were that either fell in love or at least explored a relationship between each other in some sort of manner where sex became a part of it. And it's very interesting because some other novels, what is it? uh, John Green's Mm -hmm. Looking for Alaska is on like banned books places because he has a scene where there's a blowjob (laughs) in it, you know, but it's just like, but that's a natural part of like teens exploring life. right? But because we have novels that focus on that relationship and very openly is fine with sex and exploring sex on both the male end and the female end. It's just like, no, 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 it's different. It's not, it's not a literary It's It's in its own separate porn box, which I think is just a little silly because there's a lot more to it than that. Right,
2: right. And I, I mean, it's just a human
1: need. So
2: why are we, why are we all so squeamish about it?
0: Well, and it's so like in the popular media now, like you can turn on Netflix as an eight-year-old and probably get passed into your parents thing or even in the kids thing, I'm sure. But like, you know, I remember watching a James Bond movie with my like seven-year-old brother and he was super into James Bond and like, they have some stuff in James Bond movies. Right. And so like I fast forwarded <laughs> through that part because I was like, I can't sit here with my seven-year-old brother and watch this. Like right. I am, I feel awkward. And then I come, I went to go get something. I come back. He has rewound of it. Course, like they, yes. want to, they want to know they're interested. They're curious. So, you know, it's kind of like, well,
2: let's have a good representation then like to look at, I don't think we're going to turn yeah. off the desire or the interest. So like, let's give them something give everybody something good uh, to consider
1: yeah
0: and i think that the the happily ever after and i mean kelsey and i pretty much stick to historicals like that's just what okay. we love yeah uh, so <laughs> well, you- so you know it's usually a happily ever after not a happily for now sort of scenario Mm -hmm. but um there's so many different happily ever afters that are shown you know even within a that genre which is pretty you know pretty stiff comparatively to maybe a contemporary and i think that it's it's not necessarily promoting love at first sight or it's not necessarily promoting the one occasionally you get you know the fairy tale kind of idea of that but mm-hmm. dan savage i don't know if you know who he is yeah. he's a okay so to anybody else who doesn't and he's a sex advice columnist and he has a, a podcast that he's had for many many years called Savage Lovecast and I remember one time he said something about you don't find the one you find the .72 that you round up to the one <laughs> and, and I just was like I, I identified with that because I don't feel like life is that perfect you right. know and yes I want to read about Happily Ever After but the bumps along the way make it so much more rich exactly well
2: I mean, the happy ever after is, you know, the after. We we want that in the story because it allows us to relax into the bumps and the journey and to really get the feel safe to let our guard down and really experience the emotions along with these characters because that's what we want. We don't want the perfect from page one. We don't want the happy ever after from page one. We want to go on that journey with the bumps and twists and turns and upsets. But we still want it to work out okay. And because we know it doesn't always in real life. So like, let's just enjoy it here.
0: I loved what you wrote too, about how that kind of contract between the author Mm -hmm. and the reader, knowing that there's a happily ever after, it allows us to invest more deeply in the characters. And probably a lot of other people know that fact, but that was the first time I had seen that like written down. And I was just like, yes, that's why. <laughs> like, I get real stressed out about, you know, certain television shows or movies and I, it's just not right. fun for me. Like, I'm just like, it's this is not right. fun for me. But of course I love the ups and the downs. I just, I, I can't let myself love it if I'm worried. Mm-hmm. My mom and I, um,
2: we will always like be like, Can you go see this movie for me? You know how to like is it safe for us to go see? And for exactly that it's like it's not fun. It's a state of prolonged anxiety. But shortly after I started reading romance novels, I went and read an Alexander Dumas, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. everyone French. Um, a novel set in the French Revolution. And I was young and naive and it, it sounded like a romance. It sounded like a love story. And my first clue it wasn't going to end well was that it was set in the French Revolution and not a mass market <laughs> paperback. But um, I read it with my whole heart open
3: mm-hmm. because I've
2: been reading romance. And then they fucking died in the end. And I was <laughs> gutted and devastated. And like I couldn't let that happen again, right? No. So in a romance, I can't fully invest in it. And then what's the experience then?
1: I'm the worst because I feel that same like with a romance novel, like I never feel the need to like skip ahead and see what happens. But like when I read other novels, I especially if it's like a physical book, like I'll just like pick a random page at the end and like read a little bit of the end just be like okay so we're still together by like this page okay things are still right. going okay but like you know three quarters of the way through this okay so i can get to that point and like <laughs> but i will say i know everyone's like no you can't skip ahead and i was like no i need to skip ahead like because yeah. this is a very trouble. like we're in a very tumultuous time right now and i'm not sure what's happening so i need to skip a little bit ahead just to like <laughs> Just to like get myself like prepared, you know, if that character, if this one character is not in it anymore, it's like, okay, something's going to happen. Be prepared. (laughs) Don't fall in love. Exactly. I read
0: two very challenging romance novels this Last two weeks for myself because they were outside of my comfort zone of romance novels. And so I still knew that they were both romance novels. So I I felt like there was a happily ever after coming, but one of them was a contemporary, which I would even call a paranormal because it was with a ghost. (laughs) and i was like how is this gonna end happily ever after he is a ghost (laughs) so (laughs) i was having a hard time with that luckily it was a very short Mm -hmm. little novella thing and um they did actually a very clever thing i liked it it was happily ever after and the second one was the first beverly jenkins that i've read and Mm -hmm. it is you know, set in, in Louisiana, kind of right after um, the emancipation of the slaves and and everything. And and she really goes into all of the difficulties that were happening. And I was, I had a hard time really getting into those characters because this was the first time I was reading about that. And I was like, are they still going to live happily ever after? Because mm-hmm. they're still living in these I times, know. but their happily ever after is that they are together. They're stronger together and they're fighting this thing together. And so it was hard because the journey there was a little rough for me, but now <laughs> we got there in the end.
2: Well, this is like, I'm glad you mentioned this because I think this is one of the most profoundly revolutionary things romance does is it allows people to have love and joy. And so, and especially when someone like, when Beverly Jenkins does that with someone you're like, oh, well, you know, no black people could like be happy and, you know, the antebellum South or whatever, like what she's doing with any author that writes that story in that time is doing is so revolutionary. It's saying like, we are still human, we're claiming humanity, we're claiming love, we're claiming joy and like, you can't take that. And that gets really, really to the heart of what romance does. And it's really, powerful and important and interesting as a reading experience (laughs) because you're worried for them. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. The first Beverly Jenkins book I read, I was, I had to keep putting it down and I, cause I had to mentally, I was like, how are they going to do this? This isn't going to work. I know there's a happily ever after, but how, how is this going to work? I'm so stressed out right now. (laughs) (laughs) But she
2: takes you there, right? Like, Mm and she does amazing and impeccable research. So, and like- I learned so much. (laughs) You learned so much. And it's not the like dead white guy history that informs a history book. And hers is, she just does different research. It's an extremely great research. And so I think what Beverly Jenkins and any author like her is doing is so, so important and powerful. And that's, I think what romance does It's you know, the happy ending doesn't just- Make us feel great along the way but it is like claiming joy for everybody Mm -hmm. and that's great
0: yeah and you know that was actually something that i kind of struggled with with doing this podcast was you know kelsey and i both like love regencies we love regency romance Mm -hmm. and regency romance is like you said pretty whitewashed and we're too middle class white girls <laughs> talking about <laughs> you know upper class old white people falling in love so that's there's nothing wrong with that but I do feel like it's it's a bit narrow so we're still like figuring out how we're gonna like
2: because that's what's available right mm-hmm, yeah like but there are um w- Vanessa Riley okay people in the Regency mm-hmm. like as we start to get those stories and um I think Kat Sebastian writes yeah. you know gay in the regency um scarlet peckham might be a little earlier but i think i've um, read some of her books too. Tropes. Yeah. yeah so so that's maybe not exactly the example for this point about her does <laughs> um, not it right like i think it's a huge opportunity so like you love the regency i love the regency we love everything that is and it has been whitewashed because that's we're copying off each other But if we let other people in to tell these stories and bring everything we love about the Regency, just more diverse, I think we can all be happy with the books we get.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Who
2: doesn't love a corset and a
1: carriage and all the (laughs) yeah, A thousand petticoats. (laughs) But I will say though, like doing
0: this, podcast and looking at these books differently uh, because you know all of a sudden we're reading these books not just for pleasure but for discussion but we're thinking about them differently and we're thinking about what we're doing differently and we're we're kind of reflecting on that over and over and over again and we're only you know eight nine episodes in here and we're just like there's just so much more and we're already I feel like both Kelsey agree or disagree like just talking and thinking differently i think it's a good a good journey we're on <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: It's interesting how, you know, doing this, because even when I sit down to read a book for fun, like it takes like maybe one or two books for fun for me to like get out of analyzing and thinking, you know, it's like, okay, I've got a break here. I can read just books for fun. Okay. First book, thinking really hard about it. Okay. Second book. Okay. I'm just having fun here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I know that feeling. Because we do a uh, lot
1: of
0: reviewing. So I imagine it's very similar.
2: And some months, like I only get to read for the column, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like I love the book, so it's not it's not hard work.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um and it's great because I, in reviewing, you know, I start a lot of books I don't finish because if it's not immediately captivating, then I can't. Yeah, review it. Um, so and I end up with a lot of books where I'm just like, oh, thank God someone sent this to me. I would have never found it, and I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And but it's still, it's for work. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm still thinking about like, how is she doing, with the, how is she doing this? How is she accomplishing what she set out to do with this novel? Like, is there motivation? Whereas if I'm reading just for fun, I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so.
0: so I'm curious. I had a situation that kind of reminded me a little bit about a small passage in the book where you talk about how, you know, when you tell people about romance novels at cocktail parties or whatever, usually, usually you get a pretty, pretty good response, but occasionally some ignorance uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And I got some ignorance the other day and I was like trying to figure out, you know, how to respond to these. So these kind of moments of, you know, I, uh, in my situation, I was at work and I was talking about my podcast, which I do, mm-hmm. I, you know, and for the most part, which I've done for, you know, a couple months now, most people are like, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, they they don't, have, they don't have, because I just am like, yeah, we review historical romance novels. Smile, right. you know, <laughs> and they're they like, oh, cool. <laughs> right, right. But this guy, you know, we'd we'd actually he'd actually been helping me earlier in the day, and that was really awesome. And we were having a you know, good conversation. So I didn't feel like this was a situation to kind of belittle him. I didn't feel like he was being an mm-hmm. asshole, but he just had this response where, you know, he said, so uh, you know, we'd been talking about romance novels for a long time now throughout the day. And he had nothing left in his arsenal except the stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? So he said, uh, so you read a lot of these romance novels, huh?" Uh, so, uh, your poor husband, uh, must be, uh, and I just was like, I, I think he kind of stopped there.
3: <laughs>
2: good, good. Uh, and
0: I was just like, oh. my response at that point was, yeah, actually, so. We're going to be just talking with an author who uh, has written a whole book about why these novels have this kind of stigma around them. And I find it really fascinating. And so that's how Mm -hmm. I shut it down at that point. (laughs) But what's your do you have a go to for these kind of people who just do have this ignorance? And maybe it's not even like a, a kind of malicious thing, but it is just an ignorance about what romance novels really mean to people. Yeah, I think it's an ignorance thing.
2: Um, I think it's still problematic. And it's funny you mentioned this because earlier this year I was at a party and it was like a feminist organization fundraising party. And I was talking to the leader, like the CEO chairman of this organization, to her husband, and he's like, oh, romance novels, the sex books, blah, blah, blah. I blanked, and I was all I could think of was was like, I've literally written the freaking book on this. (laughs) And I blanked. And so I was furious with myself, but also like, well, if it can happen to me, it's going to happen to anyone else because (laughs) you're not prepared for people to be so invasive because it's not about the books. It immediately becomes a personal thing about Mm -hmm. you and your husband or me and my husband. And it's, Yeah, I got the research about your sex scenes question. And I was like, it's, it's belittling and it's demeaning and it's like, it's not funny. I would never ask you about or any stranger about their sex life with their spouse. Like, let's have a drink first. (laughs) So what I've come away from that is like, you know, we all got to work on our one-liner and memorize it because even, even I will blank in that situation But I I think it's, I think they're wrong to say it. I think even if they mean well, it's not okay. So,
0: well, and I agree. And I think it's, it is a little bit delicate of me to be constantly talking about my romance novel podcast with my co workers because, you know, romance, if you had a sports podcast, would that be weird? It wouldn't be. And so that's why I don't not talk about it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I understand that the question of sex comes up Mm -hmm. sooner in that kind of a discussion than in a sports discussion, for example. But it it doesn't need to. Uh, It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. And so that's part of my, I guess, I don't know, not job, but my responsibility to
1: educate Mm -hmm. them differently to that point. And so that's still what I'm working on. (laughs) But you could think about how many modern problems we're trying to solve because we didn't want to talk about sex and it wasn't brought up right and let me tell you i'm like everybody can do what they want every day i drive by the planned parenthood and in the last few weeks (laughs) there's been protesters standing in front of it and i just want to yell at them so badly i'm just like do you want them to stick their nose in your business no so just leave just leave it's not your business like your morals, your <laughs> ethics aside, that's fine. But like, it's not your business. But, you know, I feel like right. the the stigma and the taboo of talking about sex and not talking about it in a positive way and wanting to repress it. This is why there's protesters in front of the Planned Parenthood. Right. <laughs> and if only they read more romance
2: novels. Exactly. Or intersectional romance novels. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we almost every time we get this should reply with like, a lecture and dissertation um and they will not (laughs) make that quip again Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. I think we need to like confront it head-on but at the same time like I'm at a party it's awkward like I don't know you you don't know like (laughs) this is not the hill I want to die on today (laughs) yeah one day it (laughs) will be
0: Yeah, I hate being I hate the the caught unawares thing. Um so right. I'll 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 be working on my one-liner for sure.
2: <laughs> I know. I need to do it too.
0: So but speaking also of men and romance <laughs> and happily ever after, I actually recently and, and and this kind of comes into play because your newest series of books uh, is in the Gilded Age. Yeah. And I saw that the creator of Downton Abbey, Julian Fellows, is also writing a Gilded Age series. Yes. And I recently saw the Downton Abbey movie. Did anybody else here see the
1: Downton Abbey movie? No, I was talking to my friend about going to see it next Friday, but apparently she's volunteering, <laughs> like... Oh. Okay, well, right.
0: <laughs> i will just i will just say kelsey um if you'd like to see a comedy please go see it it okay. is the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life we really? spent the whole the three of us my my two friends spent the whole time just dying in laughter because it was so bad it was oh, so no. cliche cliche, cliche. And I was like, this is so written by a man. I mean, it's literally like, okay, so what do women like? They like happily ever after. Okay, so we've got to show that this couple has a kid. So quick, someone walk through the scene carrying the kid. Check. Like, we've got to, like... They like it when like someone comes up in society. So we're gonna have this servant is actually an illegitimate child of this person, and then we're gonna have her fall in love with him. And at the end, wait, let's get a sunset. Okay, they can't dance in the ballroom, so okay, we're gonna put them out on the balcony, and they're gonna dance outside on the balcony. Check. Like I've read that in a in a romance novel, which, to be fair, I have. But I had the entire like written <laughs> <read> probably. <laughs> but I've had the entire buildup of that tension yeah. in a romance novel, which there was absolutely none of in this disaster of a movie. Oh. I probably should have said
1: spoilers for that movie yeah. at the beginning of this. Well, that's upsetting because I love the series, but that's always what happens though, because... And this is why i love the romance novels because you get the whole story versus like mm-hmm. anytime they try to put something that could be a wonderful beautiful story especially in people's lives like there's so much nuance there's so much like things going on you can't put that in an hour and a half movie because it takes me four hours to read a book <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like the thing that downton abbey was so good of was the twists and the turns
0: and the not happily ever after yeah. so it was kind of obvious that Julian fellows did not know how to write
2: or like he was pandering. I haven't seen it, but from what you're describing, it sounds like
0: pandering
2: had a checklist. And I think this is what happens when like people from outside romance, like become aware of romance. And I'm like, I can do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like we're the authors. We study our craft. We train, we read a lot of books. Um, we read the books our readers are reading so we know what the expectations are and how to do it and, like, the creators are the consumers. And um, it all works together to get these, like, nuanced depictions with the buildup so it doesn't just feel like women love babies. Let's put a baby in with a sunset. Like, <laughs> you, you lose something, I think, when you try to fake it or copy it or – you don't approach it completely authentically yeah i was gonna be movie, but now i'm not
1: i know i can <laughs> just Sorry. wait now it's I'm okay get- you saved me 15
0: bucks <laughs> i kid you not we left la- so it started off the the women there was like an, a group of older women behind us and they were like The whole like first seven minutes, they were so loud. Like, oh my god, here's the castle. Oh my god, it's Thomas. Wait, that's not Thomas. That's that's James or whoever. And they were like, oh wait, no. Oh my god, do you remember what happened? And it was like we were sitting there, like, oh my god, they're gonna talk the whole time. They're never gonna (laughs) shut up. And like then we were the we were the worst. We just (laughs) laughed so loudly the whole time, and they were so mad at us. They kept like. And I was just like, listen, lady, this is not, this is not the movie you deserve. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We've been the people at that viewing thing, but it was because we, we yeah. were expecting a movie like you just said. So we gave ourselves rules and we turned it into a drinking game. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah. we were the cackling people because we're like, ha you have to drink. And someone in the audience is like, you need to be quiet. We're like, whoa, whoa. Were you expecting this movie to be good? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah, there, I will actually say though that there is a very um weird side movie within the movie that okay. would have been brilliant and it is uh, to do with uh, Tom Thomas going to a gay club and it is oh. really really yeah. uh, at that part I was like I want this movie want oh. this movie <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but anyhow before we kind of like wrap mm-hmm. up here Maya I mean it's is true. there anything else you want to talk about about oh, dangerous man. books for girls I think we've
2: covered so much of it
0: I just, I found this book to be such like a breath of fresh air, like validating all my thoughts. So thanks for (laughs) taking the time to like research it all and put it all down and put into words all the things that kind of have been floating around in my head. I just really think everyone should read it. Like, I think it should be required reading.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. I think something happens when you write any book, but this one I felt in particular... You sit down to write, and you're like, "Am I crazy? Am I crazy? I'm just gonna put it out there anyway." And so every time I hear someone say, "Like it helped them think about romance in a new way, or articulate it in a new way, or just feel better about something that they love that brings them joy," I feel like, "Okay, I did my job here. <laughs> That's good." But you know, all other creators out there, just you're gonna feel crazy
1: and do it anyway. <laughs>
0: great advice Super.
1: (laughs) yes and can you let our listeners know what you're up to right now and where they can follow you so they can discover what you're up to next
2: next on my to-do list is copy edits always a fun time (laughs) Um, my next book is the third book in my Gilded Age Girls Club series it's called An Heiress to Remember and it is Dueling Department
1: Stores (gasps) into it
2: um guys to lovers <laughs> second chance at love um it's fun so um that will be coming out march 2020 april 2020 but you can um visit my website mayarodell.com sign up for my newsletter on my website or follow me on all of the socials as maya rodeo and i will
1: make sure you do not forget about an heiress to remember Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: And I wanted to say too that we've actually mentioned you and your books. Well, we've mentioned your books on our podcast before, but we did not credit you. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but we we mentioned a while ago when we were talking about kind of catchy, clever titles and stuff, we, oh. we mentioned your uh, uh, Keeping Up with the Cavendishes series. Oh, that and- was fun. Which <laughs> yeah. we loved, by the
1: way. I loved those books. I gobbled yes. them up. yours. Here's well, I came up
2: with the title of Lady Bridget's Diary as like
1: a joke, and my editor was like,
2: "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, okay, so we're doing this."
0: <laughs> yes, that. And I actually, re- from from reading on your website, realized your Wallflowers series you did as also contemporaries. Is that yeah. the deal? It's like basically the same ish book, but as a contemporary. Uh, yeah. The.
2: The premise is that the heroine of the contemporary is writing the historical. So the, the- Oh! roughly the same, or like you'll see what happens in her, like, you can't see me quoting. What um, <laughs> <laughs> happens in the contemporary stories and how it uh, reappears or is worked through in a historical way. I believe we read and write historical romance because we want to understand ourselves right now. And it's a way of doing that. So this was a fun labor intensive way to do that. <laughs>
0: Wow, that's, that's fascinating. And maybe I'll pick up a contemporary soon. <laughs> yeah.
2: Do you know what? They're so quick and easy and
0: um, you'll fly through them. <laughs> well, I love your wallflowers also. So Thank then it's you. like also part of <laughs> kind of reliving that. So really, really fun and exciting. So anything else that you'd like to add, Maya? Um, no, just...
2: Thank you so much for an interesting conversation and for um, sharing the love about dangerous books for girls. And I am so excited for you guys to
1: read more romance and talk
2: more romance. And you're going to have the best
1: time. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. <laughs> this was so fun and so cool. And we were just
0: truly so jazzed that you were up for this. and. We just are, yeah. Thank you.
2: thank you so much for a wonderful conversation.
0: All righty. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye. <laughs> right. Have a good weekend, you guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Wow, Kelsey. So our first interview is in the books, and I had such a fun time talking with Maya.
1: I don't know about you. Oh, I did too. I really liked her insights, and uh, I felt almost a little like – I was like, wow, look at this person who just knows what she's talking about. How amazing is that? (laughs) Yeah, it's um, really cool, and it also
0: just – makes me want to be better at talking about it all. And I know that's what we do here on this podcast is we talk about romance novels. But everything she wrote in that book, I really, I mean, I said it in the interview, but I really believe like we as romance readers should go read that book. We should have our kind of one-liner, queued up, ready to go. And it, like we kind of mentioned throughout the interview, like it doesn't have to be antagonistic. We don't have to like, you know, bring people down, but we can educate them.
1: Absolutely. And I think that really every point she brought up, even from the beginning of the book, it's funny because she talks about things that you probably never thought about. But then once you get into it, you're like, oh, my gosh, you're right. You're She's right. This is so true. And it's so it's just really fantastic the way she puts it. And she does it in a really eloquent and educated manner. Like she, it really reads as an educated person talking about it, which I think is the most unique take on it. But speaking to her, you know, she just had such great things to say about landia as a whole, fellow authors, even publishers, you know, really lifting up the genre and being like, it shouldn't be a secret thing we hide in the dark. It should be 100% lifted up because it's really doing great things for women. Yeah,
0: she has a section at the end of the book which is why does it matter how we talk about romance novels and i'm going to read a little a few little excerpts here because i think it it sums it up perfectly and because she has done it so beautifully there's no reason to say it any other way so the book reads Romance novels feature nuanced portrayals of female characters having adventures, making choices, and accepting themselves just as they are. When we say these stories are silly and unrealistic, we are telling young girls not to expect to be the heroines in their own real lives. Romance shows a variety of heroines, be they plain, pretty, plump, or skinny. They might be black, white, rich, poor, gay, or straight. But when we say only stupid women read these books, we are telling young girls that they're foolish for believing that they can be beautiful and lovable just the way they are. So... There's so much more within her book. And really, there's so many great sections we didn't even get into and so many statistics that are going to blow your mind if you open up the pages. So I really, really recommend everybody, if you're a romance reader, get your hands on this book. Just use it as a reference and a resource. And I think it's really validating to realize that this is important and someone has looked at it in this light. So
1: anyhow. Absolutely. And she has so many footnotes. And for me personally, I'm like, I want to read those books you used to quote in your book because those sound interesting too. Oh my gosh, definitely. I was I was actually checking the footnotes. I don't usually like go
0: back and check footnotes of a book, but I was like, oh, where's this from? That's so cool. <laughs> so I was super into it. And so you can find out more about Dangerous Books for Girls at dangerousbooksforgirls.com and also on that website you're going to find all of those infographics that I was talking about in the beginning with statistics on romance readership, uh, opinions of romance readers. I even know that one of our listeners mentioned to me that she was one of the participants in one of the studies that Maya did uh, back before releasing this book. So that's kind of cool. Romance Landia. Everybody is so connected. I love it. And you can also get all of her other books and find out more about her at mayarodale.com. And like she said, follow her on social media at Maya Rodale. She's always posting really cool facts about awesome women
1: from history. So there's a lot going on and you should give her a follow. And if you haven't picked up one of her books, we highly recommend them. We've mentioned a few of them in the past, but also she has her third book in her Gilded Age series coming out next spring sometime. So you should definitely read one and two before number three hits the shelves.
0: I know that I am going to do just that. I'm very excited to maybe take a trip away from Regency England for a little while and get into Gilded Age New York. It sounds fabulous.
1: Absolutely. Get all that new money in there.
0: So if you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have some follow-up or thoughts or questions about what you heard today...
1: Our email is romancepod at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media at T and Strumpets. So T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. And Facebook. And and Facebook. There you go. We're on everything. We're everywhere. And uh, finally, you can check us out in a week with our Halloween episode. It's out on actual Halloween, and that'll be the Viscount and the Vixen. Ooh, spooky. By by Lorraine Heath, which is really funny because I just literally read, like, Lorraine Heath all my vacation. Yeah, no,
0: I'm excited. This one's got a spooky setting in the moors, and it's got a ghost that wanders the castle, but it's Still kind of within our wheelhouse here. I didn't want to get too paranormal, but it is the spoopy season, so we had to do something a little bit in that vein. And I love Lorraine Heath too. I'm excited to read this one. So join us on October 31st as we read The Viscount and the Vixen by Lorraine Heath.
1: And may all your ever afters end happily.
0: Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.
1: I also just want to talk about in books because with romance, they, you know, people portray Did it as you unrealistic, Kelsey? you know, you not, those relationships aren't Kelsey froze. Hold on. I'm, oh, I'm I got to get my charger. Oh, to yeah, no okay. Am I unfrozen? No. You are unfrozen okay cool perfect we'll just like take a minute i'm going to take a sip of this water it's going to be great yeah i uh, do some stretches <laughs> yes. the dogs are star- stopped growling so that's good i can see her behind you <laughs> that's that black blob right that's daisy yep, that's the black blob that's daisy she's so much better <laughs> if theo was in the room with me
0: she would be jumping on this window and looking and yeah she's a year and a half so she but she's
1: my dog is my dog is older and wiser and she just like still lay down but she likes to be in the same room as me so like she has to be in the room because if i don't have her in the room then she's gonna be like why am i not in the room (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) okay and now then i'll i'll edit that as an actual sign yeah i like i gotta think about that i was like what am i saying (laughs) yeah all right. Thank you so much.